Hello, everyone. Welcome to Wine, Women, Words. I'm Michelle, and with me, of course, is Diana. And this evening, we have an author in my neck of the woods. I'm so excited to have a local author with on my side of the country. We have Michelle Cox, who is the author of A Girl Like You, our Yay. book of the month for October. Hi, Michelle. Hello. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming. Um, I met Michelle a few months ago. I forget what month it was, but a few months ago. And um, I feel like it's just like having an old friend on the show now. Well, thanks. <laughs> yeah, it's been great. I think you came to my launch, right, in April? Yeah. Is that where we met? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I know, can't believe it. I know. It feels like it feels like a while ago, actually. Even though I, I can't believe it's November already. I'm not okay with that. Um, I know. We are sliding into the holidays. Not ready. Not ready for the holidays. Is anyone doing anything for Halloween this weekend? Even though I know Halloween isn't until Tuesday, but. Well, not really. We had the school Halloween party today. Oh, how did that go? Yeah. How about you guys? Um, I'm getting over a plague, so I am pretty much going to spend my weekend writing in my pajamas as much as possible. So there's sounds that. perfect. Yeah, Michelle, you do, you, do, you gotta be the one person who's doing something fun between the three of us. Be the party animal. Well, yeah, because I am the wild one in this group. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I don't know if, if this is normal. It's not, I've never experienced this in, in California, but uh, this area has scheduled trick-or-treating days for each town. Yes. Which is really weird for me because <laughs> you go trick-or-treating on Halloween at night and here it's like like our our town's day I think is tomorrow and it's from two to five. That's weird. Yeah. No, no question. Can you do like two to five in your town, and then like two to five the next day in another town, and then just keep going, just hit them all, just do like a a, a kid's version of a pub crawl. You can. That's a, that's a great description. <laughs> crawl. Yeah. I mean, you can, and I know, like, there's there's another one on Sunday, and then a few towns have it on Monday, and a couple towns do have it on Halloween, but it's still early, and I'm, I'm like, this is very strange. It is strange, I know. Ours is on actual Halloween, but it's from 4 to 7, so right as it's getting, you know, really dark and creepy, they all have to co go in, so... And it's, like, enforced by the towns. So it's not like you can be like, whatever, I'm just going to go trick-or-treating on Halloween anyway. No, you can't. <laughs> no, because everybody turns off their porch lights, and that's it. No more candy. It's very, very different. I'm debating on whether or not I should buy candy this year, because last year I got, like, this big bag, and I had no trick-or-treaters, which, I mean, score for me, all the candy. Um <laughs> But now I'm like this year. I'm not sure if I, you know, want to buy the candy because I, even though I have kids next door to me, they're not gonna come by and go trick or treating. I don't know why. And like I'm at the end of a cul-de-sac, and my neighbors in front of me, 
they're uh, sticks in the mud. They're like lights are off. There's no decorations. And I was like the one house in the cul-de-sac that had like decorations and lights up. And I had no trick-or-treaters. So I'm like in this weird place where I'm like, okay, should I buy candy? And of course, if I don't buy candy, I'm going to end up with trick-or-treaters. Of and course. I gonna do them? Yeah, I, I can't just hand them, you know, money like Rachel did in Friends. So. <laughs> just start writing checks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. you can do the the bowl, like just fill, fill it, the bowl and put it outside and say, please take one. And you know the first kid is going to take it all, and that's it. <laughs> Yes, that's true. We're in a cul-de-sac too, so I have the same exact problem. Where I don't know why, like the kids don't want to just like divert over. So it's hit or miss. We don't really have street lights, so it looks really dark. So I can understand a parent going, "Okay, we're not going to go down that street." Or the kids not wanting to come down the street. If you put a sign up that says candy this way, <laughs> please take candy. That doesn't make me sound like a creeper. <laughs> right. Well, don't sit, don't make it a creepy sign. Well, I mean, it is Halloween, so I mean, I'm dancing if I do, but I don't. You know, fine, upstanding couple with two cute dogs have candy at the end of the cul de sac. <laughs> That's good. That work. Yeah, okay. I don't know. But that's uh, Lily. She's not really feeling Halloween for some reason this year. Uh, she, oh. she broke her costume. So. Oh no! What is it? She and Landon were Sky and Chase from Paw Patrol. Oh, how cute! They're pretty freaking adorable. <laughs> um, and Landon got his haircut today, and he looks like this little tiny adult now. He oh. looks like a mini rich. I know. Okay, both my kids now look like him. They're like little stamps of him. And now I have nothing and I did all the work. I, I still see a lot of I see a lot of you and Lily still though. Uh, no one sees me and Lily except you. Except me. Well, that's why we're best friends cuz <laughs> So I'm like, yeah, she looks like your kid. <laughs> Thank you. Got your ears in your eyes. Well, at least she can cover the ears. <laughs> but so I know we kind of went over this before we went on, but what's everyone drinking tonight? Oh, we have Just to announce it. Okay. Yes, well, it's called Wine sure. in the Woods. <laughs> we don't make it a secret. Dang, I'm hiding it over here. All right, I'm. Oh, drinking. don't hide your liquor. Be proud. Well, I hid it because I wasn't sure. If I should, you know, needed to have wine. Oh, I'm no. Complaining before, then I can't write the next day. So it's a thing. <laughs> we can't, yeah, we can't have that. You got to be able to write the next day. Yes, so, I mean. right. Yeah, so Friday. beer works. So, what kind of beer, out of curiosity? Is it standard beer, good beer? You know what? It's like, it, I'm so lame. Okay, it is a light beer. I'll admit it. I used to be a huge beer snob, but again, it's it's the writing or the beer. So one one of them had to go. The sacrifice. Tough decisions. Really tough decisions. I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what are you guys drinking? You have to announce it now too. Oh, yes, Michelle. You. So I'm drinking the um, very very high end um, total splurge. 
uh, $5 Target wine. <laughs> um, it's the Chardonnay, which is actually really good. I haven't tried that one yet. Your wines are really good. I, I was surprised by how good they are. Surprisingly good. I almost reached for the bottle on accident when I was going to take a sip just now. <laughs> Straight out of the bottle. There's no judgment here. <laughs> but yeah, sometimes it's it's so funny that the, the cheaper labels are usually the better flavored wines and you know to target for target to have its own brand and it'd be good is great that's true though oh. i expect if walmart came out with a brand it would be boxed yeah. <laughs> <laughs> red, red zinfandel or like a bag just like <laughs> bag of wine with a little spout in it just their, their label is cute i've never read their label but it says the best ingredients for a good life are simple. Good food, good friends, and good wine. Hmm. Okay. Wise words. <laughs> so tonight, for me, I am self-medicating because unless it is whiskey or like really, really hot spicy stuff, I have no interest. Um, so I'm drinking Spice Wild Turkey. So this has like the best Ooh. Wow. And I'm impressed. Oh, <laughs> really? Nice. <laughs> um, I like whiskeys. I like rums. Um, I, you know, like them a little bit more on the earthier side. And this one has has that nice, almost Christmassy like spice to it. I really like it. That's nice. My husband is a huge whiskey fan, so he's his big favorite is um, single malts. Mm. Yeah, I'm not that familiar with the malts. And like the whiskey's enough to know what I'm, you know, the difference between the single malts or the double malts are. I just, it's like wine. I know what tastes good. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. That's all you need. Exactly. This tastes great. This tastes like <laughs> shit, but I'll get you messed up. That is <laughs> my, uh, my leverage here for what's good for alcohol. I'm going with the stuff that tastes good. Why not? I need to write. So we, I start, I don't know if, if anyone saw my post a few weeks ago. Um, my dog heard that um, a girl like you was really good and he decided to eat it and I had to order another copy and, you know, life tends to, you know, get in the way, unfortunately. Of course. And I realized like on Wednesday, I was like, okay, or Tuesday. You know, okay, the show's in three days, and I still haven't finished the book, so let me see where I'm at. And I was on, like, page, like, 120-something. I was like, oh, that's not bad. I, You know, I'll, I'll split it in the middle. I'll do, like, 75 pages tonight and 75 pages tomorrow, and I'll finish. Well, I read the rest of the book in the next day because oh I, like, boycotted parenting and put a movie on. <laughs> So it like it got to the 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 unputdownable point. Nice. Everything wow. started happening in in the the Marlowe. Yes. Um, but for those of us who don't know, oh, and just FYI, people, spoilers. So if you haven't finished it, shut down the episode and watch it tomorrow after you have finished it. Because mm -hmm. we're gonna talk about. Yes, please. This. Mm -hmm. Um, so, but Henrietta is actually based on a real person, right? That's correct. 
Yes, she's based on a woman that I met in a nursing home. So this hmm. is about 25 years ago. And so and she was, I'd say, maybe 80-ish at the time. So she's long gone, I'm sure. But she was an incredible person. And I feel somebody... Did you work in the nursing home, or was it just somebody that you happened to be meet up I with? I was a working there. Okay. Yeah. So I was a lit major, but I ended up getting a job as the admissions director somehow. <laughs> Who would hire, like, a 23-year-old to be the admissions director anyway? So uh, I wasn't any good at it because my job was to sell beds, and I didn't realize that. I just thought it was, you know, to check people in. No, I was supposed to be out schmoozing with, you know, hospital discharge people. And I, instead, I was never in my office and I was never at the hospital. I was always on the floor, like, helping people find their lost sweater and talking to people. So they said, you know, let's shift you into social service. I'm like, well, that's great, but I have no social work degree. They said, it doesn't matter. So I started working in social service. So it was perfect, perfect job because I got to, that was part of my job was to, you know, talk to people and get their story. And so it's great. So yeah, yes, I did change your name. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, so how much of the story was fiction and how much of it was actual with her out of curiosity? Well, that's a really good question. Um, she used to tell me that she had a man stopping body once upon a time and a personality to go with it. So apparently she was this gorgeous bombshell in the thirties. And um, hmm. so that part is true. So the whole part about Henrietta being this, you know, beautiful woman, that was true. Um, and all of the strange risque jobs that Henrietta has in the book, this woman really did have. So like, the 26 girl, the taxi dancer, um, the hair curler demonstrator at Marshall Fields, all that was real. And she she tended to get these risque jobs, even though she was a good girl, because she, you know, probably because of her beauty. So she never had any problem keeping the jobs, even though it was a depression, the depression, because she was hired because of her looks. But then she was always getting felt up. And then the owners would, she would slap the owners and then she'd be out. So I kind of gave that sort of blessing slash curse to Henrietta. Mm -hmm. And then the whole family history about um, her real father was, I think it was Lester von Frudenthal. And I made that into Leslie Von Harmon. And he used to tell them stories. I know, right? He used to tell them stories about the Von in their name being, um, meaning that they were barons from the old country. So I put all that in. Um, the character of Stanley is um, an amalgamation of this little gang of boys that would follow her um, when she got off of work because they knew she was a nice girl and they were worried about her. So they would wait for her to get off the L at night and wait until she got home. So I just thought that was so neat. And I wanted to put that into the book, but I couldn't write this gang of boys, you know, through the novel. So I just made it into Stanley. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing that's true is um, 
that the gang of lesbians at the Marlowe, <laughs> that, that all, almost everything at the Marlowe except for the green door and all of that that went on, that was all true. So um, these lesbians came on to her and she said, no, I'm not like that. And then they became her protectors and they would invite her to their like lesbian parties after the shows. So that was fantastic. I was trying to get all these <laughs> So yeah. You know, I love that you included um, homosexuality in there because that's something that really been there. That's something that really affected me for the 1920s and the 1930s. Because there's so much of that that goes on that you don't really hear about, at least until recently. Um, you know, because it was, you know, happened with the lost generation and stuff. So, I mean, were you able to do some more research into that sort of thing? Or was it, how did, doing that you know i felt like you know i didn't do a ton of research on that because i had this woman's story and you know i really believed her um so i felt like i you know it, it was shocking to me because yeah you're right you don't really think of that from that era but then i actually met this woman um afterward like a reader um we had lunch and she said that that's actually um true even now is that when a lot of women in in um the dance profession or um the sort of risque almost or prostitution a lot of times are homosexual and that um that's kind of one way that they deal with it so she thought it was very accurate yeah well i remember the one time i went to got to go to a strip club uh so it's story time with diana kids. <laughs> <laughs> I go into the bathroom and I'm in the stall and two of the strippers come in and they start gushing over each other's tattoos and then they start talking about their girlfriends and yeah, my girlfriend, she, I'm not really that into tattoos, but my girlfriend is. So I go and I get my tattoos for her and I let her pick them all out and, and they're just gushing over each other and they're like, and we should perform together on stage. I don't know how we haven't done that yet. <laughs> I'm just sitting in the stall of the bathroom going, okay, should I go out? Go out there, should I go out there? Now I'm gonna stay here and I'm gonna listen to more of this conversation. I this. Um, so yeah, awesome. I, I believe that there's there's a very big, you know, lesbian population within that those risque fields. Yeah, for sure. So I thought that was really neat. And, and I mean, as you know, they well, if okay, so I can say spoilers, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So originally I was going to have Stan be the one to save them in the end but then i thought mm -hmm. no you know it should be the women the girls mm -hmm. are the ones that should be the saviors so mm -hmm. and they come into all the success of books too they don't have oh, to be yeah. yeah but they are they appear here and there so oh good that was one <clears throat> excuse me that was one of my questions because as much as as i did love the main characters of my favorites were Lucy, Gwen, and Rose. Those were really? my favorite characters. Wow, good to know. And 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 that, I was wondering if they would show up again because I really liked them. Yes, they do. And um, actually, Rose gets a big part in book three. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, um. Oh, I totally forgot. 
which question I was going to jump to when you have a list. You, you don't know what you're going to do. <laughs> you never see a list. We're horrible. We act so organized, but in reality, we're just winging this. It's awesome. <laughs> we just get drunk and talk about books every week. That was really like the premise that, that I pitched to Diana when I wanted to do a show. I was like, hey, so you want to drink wine and talk about books and, and make a show out of it? That's I didn't even have to think about it. I was like, I'm in. This is what normally happens. together. Why not record it? Right. Exactly. So I noticed when, when I was reading the book, um, the phrase, a girl like you, popped up several times from different characters. And I was just curious if that was like an intentional little nod to the title or if it just kind of like popped up organically. It, um, you know, maybe the first time it just sort of happened, but then I started planting it on purpose. So, good catch. <laughs> I noticed, like, almost every character that interacted with her said it at, at one point in time, right? Coming from, from their point of view, like how they were perceiving her. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was an interesting play because you can interpret it, you know, various ways. But then I felt like I kind of had set a precedence. So then, like with the second book, A Ring of Truth, I had to work that in there somewhere. It's not as easy to do as a girl like you, but I tried. <laughs> <laughs> so, talk to us about uh, setting the book in the city that you live in. Because, I mean, this is set in Chicago. You live in Chicago. You're one of those lucky authors who can use your where you live as your setting. Unlike some of us who write about stuff that happens in South America, and I just want <laughs> just to make it harder, right? Exactly. Um, you know, it seemed like the natural thing to do because this woman had been, you know, this was kind of her story, and this is where she was, and there were so many landmarks built into her story, like the World's Fair the Marshall Fields, um, the burlesque houses downtown. So it just seemed like the natural thing to do. Mm -hmm. Blog where I um, basically take a different forgotten Chicago resident and I tell their story every week. So I don't know, it's just always it's so much in my mind that that's what it is for now. So, so you have a blog where you where you have a Chicago resident talking about Chicago or tell us no, more about oh. No, I took like these stories from um, the nursing home and okay. I changed their names, but otherwise they are true. And um, it's called Novel Notes of Local Lore. True story okay. that Chicago's forgotten. Yeah, so it's just a, a different story each week. All these people are long gone. But they have amazing, fascinating stories. Some of them I'm saving because they're so long and intricate that I'm actually going to use them as to base a novel on. But other ones, they're really great stories, but I, I don't feel like they could be blown out into a novel. Plus, I have like hundreds of these, so I can't write everyone into a novel. <laughs> so this is a way to, you know, get the little story out there. That's one of the so. things I love about my day job is I work with the elderly because I do estate planning. And ah. I love, they come in and they tell their stories and you hear some really fascinating ones. Um, one of my 
you know, favorite um, uh, clients that we had. He became a friend and he'd come in and he told me all about his wife. How And he was just absolutely in love with her, even after her death. Oh. And so proud of her. And she was a Shakespeare um, scholar. Wow. And, yeah. And he was just... He was just a lowly bus driver is how he described himself and they fell for each other and he was just enamored by her both by her brains and by her looks and he bring me in pictures of um their trips to they went to denmark just so that she could see where hamlet's uh house had once reside resided wow. um they went to mexico and on a whim they're like hey let's go visit pancho villa's widow Oh my God. Yeah, and they just, they go over there and they see the house, they see the car that gets, that was all shot up when Pancho Villa got killed. Um, there's pictures of him smiling next to Pancho Villa's widow. Um, <laughs> wow. It was crazy. And it was just these great stories. And there's, the stories are so much fun. They're so great. I know, right? Yeah, People need to are. listen to our elders more because they have, that's where some of the great, so great stories are because. I mean, we, especially you and I, we write the historical fiction. Um, that's where the history is. That's where all the great history is. I mean, things that make it come alive. Yes, exactly. Sometimes if I'm giving a talk, I will say, if there's any writers in the room, go hang out in a nursing home for a few weeks because there's hundreds of stories. If you want a writing idea. Yeah, and they could use volunteers, people to, I'll oh. just call and just, you know, I'm the one person they talk to for the whole day. So even if I'm sitting there pretending to listen and typing away on my computer, <laughs> let them talk because they're not going to talk to anybody else today. Um, so no. it's just, yeah. And you've got to, yeah, it's a great idea for writers. Writers need to volunteer. Any writers out there listening, go volunteer at a senior center. Yeah, right. I mean, really, some great stories. I went it's funny because one of them. Oh, go ahead. Oh no, no, no. There, I speaking of Pancho Villa. One of the one of the stories was about him. She, the, it was a an immigrant from Mexico, and she told the story of her family was very aristocratic, mm -hmm. and in their small little village, and Pancho Villa would come along and try would raid all the time. So they had built these com like compartments into their walls. And they would mm -hmm. hide inside the walls when he would come and raid. Oh, wow. Um, that Yeah, uh, you know, that's somebody's story just sitting there in a hallway. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, we had a client whose um, father was in Russia during the, I want to say it was when the communism first, like, really came into power. Um, it was right around that time frame. And when uh -huh. he died... The, and because we were dealing with the trust administration portion of it, he had to go through the house with a metal detector because his dad would stash pill like the pill bottles. He would fill them up with coins, like half, like if it was big enough for half dollars, he put half dollars in there or quarters in there wow. and he would stash them around the house because you never knew if there was an emergency, you needed to find the money, you need to have it hidden in places. But you never had just one hiding place. It was under floorboards in the attic and wall, under mattresses, just everywhere around the house. Wow. It had to be his little, like, the older he got, the worse he got. And it was like his hoarding thing. Because <laughs> <laughs> you never know what room of the house you're going to be in when disaster strikes. 
And what if That's I read true. the house and, you know, there goes all your hidden stash. You got to have something in the other part of the house. They don't have everything. I feel like houses today aren't wow. built for the hidden stash portion of your life. Yeah, you don't want to have those floorboards that you totally. can Right. It's a lost feature. People need to start building those back into houses. Ooh, yeah, you can put some false bottom <laughs> floors and things. Yeah. Like, this yeah, house has hardwood floors, um, central air and heating, and uh, hidden stashes throughout the house. For <laughs> Fireproof. There's one in the bedroom, one downstairs. It could work. Yeah, we've got two, <laughs> we've got two electric units here on the wall. One is an actual electric unit for if a fuse burns out. The other one is actually a pretend safe. So, <laughs> someone out there would buy a house just for that. Mm -hmm. Who knows? But right. So now, getting back to using Chicago as a backdrop background um what about like with location i mean you've got the people and stuff was it easy for you to be able to picture the locations and and the settings and everything yeah you know um i it was i mean it was because first of all the poor pete's the bar where she works as a 26 girl i'm from a really small town and um very old and i remember going into places like this when i was little with my dad and so it was kind of just a, a matter of remembering that and recreating that as poor pete's and then the um the burlesque theater that i just sort of made up however I did do a teeny bit of research and I was reading in the trib that from that era that somebody had written in to complain that there were these tunnels underneath the burlesque houses where the dancers would go and do drugs, even in like in the thirties and the twenties. Mm -hmm. And so there was sort of this back and forth in, in the trib about um, this, you know, what was going on. So that, also fueled my description of the burlesque house but the whole audition scene that was word for word what this woman told me how they you know had to get up on stage and they would have to do these you know kick their legs and dance and then they would say left right left right left right so mm -hmm. it was it was nice because she told me a lot of it but you know then i had to make up some of it <laughs> that must have been crazy to hear like this 85 year old woman talk about like going to lesbian after parties and working as a an usherette in a burlesque show. And yeah, she was so wild. I mean, she was like this little old lady. I mean, really, it's like a stereotype. But she really was, like walking around with the black shawl and the thick glasses. And for her to have all of these stories about being this young, vivacious woman and all the adventures she got up to. She just had that like spark to her that even though she was in her 80s, you know, she was still had this sort of zest for life. That's awesome. We like to pretend that the elderly are all, or like to think of the elderly as like all these innocent people, like they just have a life, you know, <laughs> like the time that they're 60, they're playing, they're boring, they weren't up to any good, or they were always, you know, always good people. But the truth is, most of them, they were just as devious as you or I. Uh, my grandmother, used to, 
play the whole, oh, I was a good girl thing, but yeah. She would tell me stories. <laughs> I know she got herself into trouble. She did some things to get my grandfather's attention. My grandfather, who was a playboy, she got his eye. He had to have done something. <laughs> That's funny. Now, on, well, she would tell me that. Oh, go ahead. No, no, I'm sorry. I keep cutting you off, and I totally don't mean to. No, that's she um, would tell me about these parties, and I would say, wow, what was that like, you know? And um, she said they were really boring because all they did was make out, and she was just sitting there. <laughs> what? <laughs> really? Not well, the way yeah, I would mean, describe it. <laughs> I, I, I can see where she was coming from with that, really. I mean, I mean, not that there's really anything that you would be able to do there, like... Exactly. I mean, if you're not into women and there's just, it's like going, I, you know, I'm not even going to go there. <laughs> I was going to make a food reference, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm just going to drink my whiskey and we can move on to the next question. Cause yeah, whiskey is totally, you thought, I thought I was bad with wine, Michelle. I think the whiskey is just like, you can't blame me when I'm 2000 miles across the country, letting you know. <laughs> um, but I, um, so I, not that I stalk your Facebook page, but I see the pictures that you post on your, the events that you go to. And I saw one of them was like in front of a, a theater, like the green something or the mill house or the green you, mill. Oh, there you go. See, I got it. <laughs> and, yeah. um, the caption was like, uh, like, you know, stepping into Clive and Henrietta's world. Was that a burlesque club or, or what was that? I'm just curious. Yeah, the Green Mill is actually a jazz club where um, Al Capone used to hang out. So there, he had a certain table by the stage and that was his table. And then, of course, you know, there was a, it was near a quick getaway if it was raided. So it's all, it's so beautiful. You'll have to go and see it sometime because it, it, they kept it exactly the way it was from then. Nothing has changed. So it's really a neat place. I feel like Al Capone is just like all over the place here. Like everywhere is Al Capone used to hang out here. I know. Well, he lived there, didn't he? Yeah. So, I mean. Yeah, but even like up here, like in, you know, in this area, then there's a town in uh, in Antioch where they say like there are underground tunnels that he used to use to escape in case there was a raid and the um, the hotel that I was doing a story on for the paper they say that Al Capone used to hang out there in Fox Lake all the time and that was like his spot he's like he's like everywhere wasn't he busy yeah. like running the mob to, to <laughs> boy I mean. He's, isn't he like the most famous person to come out of Chicago or like one of the most famous people? Because I mean, I know Dan Aykroyd lived there, but I mean, come on, home. <laughs> one of the most notorious people in American history comes from Chicago. I would say he's probably one of the most notorious. I, I think there are some people who might take issue with most famous. <laughs> most notorious, definitely. Well, I mean, you have to admit that, like, as a culture, um, Americans are fascinated by the mafia. I was just talking this evening. Don't mind me. I'm pouring a second glass of wine. Um, <laughs> there, are, uh, there was, I was talking to someone about 
another mobster, like Babyface Nelson, I want to say. It was another mobster. And there's like a tree in a town. I have to email this guy and ask him again where where it was. But um, there's a tree in an area here where he was shot by police. Like that's where like his final stand was. And the tree is like a local celebrity type thing. <laughs> he died. Wow. Like the, the towns here, they're like, I, you know, I really love this area and the towns are, they're so like, and I don't mean this in a bad way. They're so sleepy, you know, mm-hmm. like it's very quiet, very calm. And then you hear all these stories about gangsters getting shot up in <laughs> underground tunnels. And it's like, what? I know. I know. Well, we were talking about that at lunch, right? That, mm-hmm. you know, really, how could he have been all of these places at one time? Because the little town I'm talking about where I grew up, it's about four hours away. It claims to have been an Al Capone hideout. Like, really? He probably went there once. Was there for <laughs> yeah, right. Ten minutes. And they're like, oh, it's an Al Capone hideout. He was here. All right, he's going to hang out, hang out here. And then he goes. I mean, Save that table, don't throw out that napkin. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's fascinating that the mafia culture has become synonymous with the Italian culture. Um, and that every time, if you think Italian, you think Godfather, you think Al Capone, you think all of that, you don't think about anything else um, with the Italian-American culture. It's just, it's the mafia solely, and it's such a big part of our American history. Well, I mean, they I have very set it up pretty nicely for us. Is that they did set it up pretty nicely for us. Huh? Yeah, they did. But I still have mixed feelings about it. I mean, uh, this is coming from a girl who was taught the phrase, I kid you not, there's no such thing as a mafia. It's just the man trying to keep us down. That's what I was trying to say. I have very mixed feelings when it comes to the mafia and Italian culture. I had a, a friend of a a friend of mine in high school, he, he was like hardcore Sicilian, like the Sicilian family. And his dad owned a vending mis- machine business. So he would sell the vending machines all over New York City and stock them. And you know, we were over at his house one night and it was really late. It was like 11 o'clock at night and his dad comes down in a suit wearing like a pink button down shirt. And- we're like, why are you going in? Like, he was like, oh, where are you going, Dad? And he goes, I'm going into the city. And it's like, it's 11 o'clock at night. And he goes, yeah. Um, he's like, yeah, I have, I have business to take care of. And you knew not to ask this guy what his business was. And wow. one of our friends was like, why are you wearing a pink shirt? He goes, because no one ever suspects a man in a pink shirt. Uh, <laughs> That is like the best line ever. No wow. Oh my god, don't tell me I don't need to know. <laughs> That's awesome. But he, he was definitely, you kind of wondered a little bit about that family. Yeah, sounds like it. <laughs> but so can we. Mafia. Um, was Neptune based on anybody specifically or? Was Neptune. No. He wasn't. I had to completely invent him. He was really creepy. And can we talk about Larry for a second? Because I had an entirely different 
vision of where Larry's storyline was going. I kind of like the image I had of him the, through the whole story was like like a dirtier, greasier Lenny from like of mice and men. That's oh. kind of how I pictured him. That's a good one, yeah. And then all of a sudden, no, 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 no. <laughs> I thought what I thought was going to happen is uh, he was going to show up and help Henrietta or help the girls make their escape. He was going to play some role in helping them get away. Oh and God. then you found out that he was actually <laughs> Neptune. <laughs> and like that was a plot twist that I definitely did not see coming. And that was one of those moments where I'm reading it going, oh, oh. <laughs> this is not how I was expecting that story to go. No. She's Even in big trouble. I said, I said a word, and Lily goes, Mommy, why do you say that word? <laughs> <laughs> Mama I, just read a plot twist. <laughs> I fully expect the older your daughter gets, and the more we do these shows, we're going to have a swear jar just for... <laughs> Just for the show, and I'm gonna have to be sending her checks every month for every time I swear. Uh, you're, you're gonna pay for her college tuition. You know it. There's gonna be something that Diana can do for her future. Mommy, why do you say that word? <laughs> because Larry's a bad guy. <laughs> she tries to get you to go to Target to buy more wine. home. <laughs> So, did you always know that Larry was going to be the bad guy, or was that kind of just a, a development? No, I always knew he was going to be the bad guy. Yeah. Because he's so creepy. Like, he was everywhere. He was, like, from the beginning, he was sorting the girls and helping them in. And, like, ew. Yes, exactly. Which makes him worse. And people have said that the the thing that really got them is when she bought him the bread or the rolls or whatever. Mm -hmm. And you think it's going like, just like you said, you think it's going to go in a different direction. And so well played because <laughs> that caught me off guard. Yeah. Well, good. Thanks. <laughs> it's always I'm glad I disturbed you. Yeah, because you do. You feel bad for him and the way that, that Mrs. Jenks treats him and you're just like, and she's awful. And you, you really feel bad for him until you hate him. I know, right? Yeah. So does he, like, at, at the end, um, he tells Clive that if he goes down, the mob is going to come after him. Does that ever come back to haunt them? It does. For spoilers in the next books, aren't you, Michelle? You're prying. <laughs> I, I haven't asked. I mean, I, I know what the second book is about already. It's out. I was at the launch party. That's true. <laughs> so she, yes, knows a little. But, yeah. but I have no idea what the third or fourth books are about. I haven't asked. Mm. Yet. <laughs> yet. <laughs> yeah. I well, I, I'm I'm trying to like decide how much I should say, so I'll just I won't say anything. You you'll have You're to just ask. To find out, Michelle. Right. Well, I can, 
I can already read the, the second one because it's out. And the third one is with the publisher already, right? Yeah, that, it comes out in April. Okay. So I'll cover that launch party also. Yeah. And, <laughs> and awesome. then the fourth one is you're, you're done writing the fourth one. Correct. Done writing it, just like finishing up some edits. Here they are. <laughs> so yeah. So I'm trying to get it, you know, to a point where it, I, I can send it out to some beta readers just to see if I'm on track or completely off base. Hopefully if you not off base. Reader, I'm a great beta beta reader. I know. Oh, I so. Diana. <laughs> okay. I'm not her official beta reader. I know she has um, another reader that they trade work with, but. But I'm I'm her sounding board. Nice. Yeah, the beta, the beta readers aren't necessarily you know my sounding board. She's the one I go to where I'm like, okay, does this sentence sound like the character's mansplaining, um, <laughs> or I can't get this right? This is what I have in mind. Should I write it this way, or should I try something else? So she That's gets nice. really really long texts from me. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm like, opinion, please. That's really nice to be able to have that, to have somebody who you can really bounce, in a real way, bounce something yeah. off. That's cool. Yeah, yeah and I do that to her, just not as frequently. It's like, hey, I happened to write something today. I <laughs> You've got some great ideas, and I'm really looking forward to you doing something with a spy. Um, has she told you, Michelle, what all these book that, books that she's been getting? Like she's really into the spies of like the Civil War and like Revolutionary War and stuff. You know, women doing this these kinds of things. And I'm like, she loves thrillers. She loves spy novels, and it's there, hitting her in the face. I like the web. And I'm like, you've got to do this. You would be great. At that. Yes. I bought another Civil War book today. Actually, no, this one not today. A while ago. Um, okay. This one was about the War of 1812, so I'm branching out into new wars now. <laughs> Your venturing into 19th century is going to be your, your thing. It's I know. Huh? But I know. I know. I, I really have to do something. But, but um, your last story is fantastic. I really love it. That's you like, have to finish that one. Yeah. What? She has to start that one. She I have started it. I have like a portion of it. Well, I, I started writing it over again, like from from scratch. So I have like basically the same amount that I had last time. It's just different. Oh, the Wizard of Oz one? Yeah. Okay. That's that's my baby, and that's that's the one. If I ever get a book published, it's gonna be that one first. But I have a heart like low key obsession with Civil War spies. Ooh. Right. Um, but like but the, women, the women Civil War spies, not the men Civil War spies, because they were scandalous. Like they, they risked like Rose, total obsession with Rose. And I know she was a Confederate spy, and that's probably not politically correct right now. But <laughs> still fascinating. Why was she? Why was she a civil? You know, but that? like she she was a widow. And she courted all these Union soldiers, and they told her things because they're dumb. And she 
smuggled the information out to the Confederate generals and captains, and she helped them win major battles. And wow. that's, I mean, there's a there's a story right there. Why did she turn? Why did she Why did she go that way? Why you know how much anger did she have over them killing her husband? Because I'm sure that's probably where it came from. Where her husband was a Confederate soldier. There's yeah. so much to yeah. play with. She's pretty. I don't want to say she's awesome, but she's like she's really impressive. And then she goes and dies because she is going back to England on a ship, and the ship sank, and she oh. drowned because she had sewn bars of gold into her dress. Wow! So weighted down by the gold in her dress. Oh my gosh! Wow! Who does that? I mean, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So now you see why I'm like, you've got to write the story. You've, it's right there in front of you. I mean, I, I, as my grandmother would say, if it was a snake, it'd bite you in the face. That's right. But, well, one day I will write a book, hopefully. <laughs> more, more than one book. Right? Yeah. That, that, that'd be a goal. But I mean, Robbie's time might not be now. It might be later on down the road. It could still be your baby. It's just we need more time to percolate. But how many? How do you have an idea of how many books you see Clive and Henrietta's story stretching? Or well, there was, I don't mean stretching in like a bad way. I mean, oh, um, you know, there's definitely going to be a fifth. Um, I don't really know. I don't really have an end date. The, the my problem is. I love the story and I love the characters, but I really have these other novels I want to write too. Mm -hmm. So I was trying to write book four and trying to like outline a standalone and it was just way too much. So I had to put that aside and just I said to myself, you know, I just have to finish the series, but I don't know where to stop it. It just keeps going. I so, think that's one of the problems that I hear from other authors who've written series is that, you know, they like the series, but they also want to write other things. So, but everything is about the series and the fans want the series more than anything else. Right. Right. And I feel like I, it would be hard to jump out of that voice into something else. I mean, I know that there's some authors who are writing multiple series at the same time and I just don't know how they could do that. Uh, was what? it um, the woman who writes Mercy Thompson and the Alpha and Omega series? Uh, Patricia. Oh. Yeah. I say her name so many times. And, uh. <laughs> yeah, she, she, and she's writing multiple series where she had like six or seven Mercy Thompson series books out there. It's a fantasy series that I love. And then she started doing the Alpha and Omega series with it within that same world but it's another voice another series and so she's now alternating every other year it's one book for mercy thompson one book for alpha and omega and yeah it's I, yeah going between the two worlds is kind of crazy yeah and that's a long time for fans to wait you know so mm -hmm. both reese bowen does that too mm -hmm. mystery genre Mm -hmm. She writes the um, Her Royal Spiness series, and then she also writes the Molly Murphy. And those are completely different voices, different time periods, so that's mm -hmm. amazing. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, we've had other authors on the show before who, um, one, Seth's, you know, Seth's book was, his first book, or first book we read, was a historical fiction book, that a thriller that jumped between present day and uh, Queen Elizabeth the first uh, era. And then The Semper Sonnet, lovely book, totally recommend love it. Love it, such a good book. Um, and then his newest book is a political thriller, like present day. I'm like, how do you jump? You're completely different genres. Wow. So yeah, I don't know how authors do that either. But, um, so how, what kind of challenges when, when you have a series running for, you know, longer than just, you know, two books or, or a trilogy, how, what kind of challenges do you face when you're writing them to, to keep the storyline continuing? Well, that's a good question. Um, I feel like the first three books of this series are kind of their own little package and so four has been really really hard to write I do think I I hope I've cracked it but um it was hard to know it you know what direction you you want to go and especially because I have so many characters now and it's kind of like a tv series where you can't not every episode is going to have all of the characters in it it's just too impossible so each book I have to sort of pick who's you know, story I'm going to focus on and who gets maybe just a bit part. So that's, it is tricky because you, you want to keep the sort of mystery going. You, you have all these character arcs going, you want to keep the sexual tension going. So, you know, it's a lot to start to have to balance. And so does Stanley come back? Because I feel like he was like annoying, but lovable. <laughs> <laughs> when when he went in it's just like when you see him pop up it's like oh my god like she doesn't she's not into you <laughs> yes he does he is in uh, he is in the second one the third and he has a little bit part in the fourth yay and he's, he's like <laughs> I like him, and I really like that he and Elsie got together because I feel like they were much better suited for each other. Yeah. Um, and the her mom, I really did not like her until I read the section where it was from her point of view, and she, you kind of like got to find out how she thinks a little bit more. Yeah. And you start to understand her a little bit where she sees Henrietta's beauty as like a curse in a way because she knows that it's going to get her places that, you know, she wouldn't have gotten to otherwise, but it's also going to get her into trouble that she, that she wouldn't have gotten otherwise. For sure. Yeah. And actually Ma's story, um, keeps going to, so you find out more and more and more about, what her life was like and what happened to her and why she is the way she is. Oh, good. I'm glad I was, I was, I liked that part and I, I was curious about her. Yeah. I'm sure she'll be thrilled when she meets. Well, so Elsie said that Ma isn't going to like Clive because he's an inspector and it's an unreliable job. 
But in the second one, so what is the second one about? Hmm. Well, the second one is about how Clive hasn't been completely honest with who he really is. So um, he's actually the son of a very, very wealthy family in Winneka. And so he, he is supposed to sort of be taking over the family business and running this huge estate. And he doesn't really want to because after the war, he just doesn't care about any of that anymore. And I think that that was common for that generation is like the, the, the old world order um, just sort of cracked for them after the war. So that's sort of, so he's had to reveal to her that, you know, oh, by the way, this is really who I am. And this creates a big problem because you would think she'd be jumping for joy. Oh, you're actually this rich guy. That's fantastic. But to her, she fell in love with the inspector and she thought that they were going to have this sort of life in Chicago. And now she doesn't really know what to think because she doesn't really think that that's her world or she really belongs there. So once again, it's placing Henrietta in this world, strange world where she's in over her head. So in the first book, she was in over her head at the burlesque house where she was trying to pretend that she was a prostitute. And then now she's in over her head because she's in this whole, you know, gilded set type of environment. So that's that little part. And then you also find out that, um, you know, Ma has been holding back some secrets too. Ma has secrets. Yes, she does. Huh. Interesting. You can talk about yeah. that at your lunch party. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, I don't want to, I don't know how much you want me to say. I don't know if you want me to ruin it. No, definitely don't because I need to, I need to buy the second one now. <laughs> Good. Excellent. Well, I do believe that our hour is up, but that went by super fast. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, you're right. Has it been an hour? It has. Wow. Our episodes well, tend to go by. Talking to you. What? Our episodes tend to go by really fast. Yeah. This was fun. So you guys do this every week? Yeah. yeah. Same bat time, same bat time. Well, technically, I mean, Thursdays, today is Friday. That's right. <laughs> I know. Usually, yeah. like, Friday mornings are pointless for me because <laughs> of the wine. <laughs> yeah. Now, Saturday morning is going to be pointless for me, but that's okay. Because it's Saturday morning. That's okay. But thank you so much for joining us. And I, I'm, I know we'll probably have lunch at some point again. Okay. And everybody, be sure to join us for next week. Um, next month, our book of the month is The Tea Girl of Hummingbird Lane by Lisa C. Ooh. Yes. She's, she's, I love her books. Um, so this is going to be a very fascinating, interesting book for November. And Lisa will be joining us at the end of the month as well. Fantastic. Yes. Thank you guys for having me. I feel very honored. <laughs> Thank you for joining awesome. us. It was Thank fun. Thank you. Everyone, I hope you have a lovely night. Enjoy your weekend and any Halloween hijinks you get into. Yes, party animals. We got one women words. Yes, let us know what hijinks you get up to. Um, we will cheer you on. We will egg you on. We will encourage yeah. you in your deviousness. 
<laughs> Somebody's gonna have some fun for me. Yeah. <laughs> have a good night, everyone. Bye. 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 Thanks. Bye. -bye.